The November test window is here. Season 2 of Major League Rugby is on the way. And Canada's last shot at the World Cup starts on Sunday. You wanted it. You got it. This is the America's Rugby Show. Complete with fancy intro music and everything, I am Brian Ray from America's Rugby News, and this is kind of like our new podcast pilot episode. Uh, We'll refine the format and length and so on as we go along, but the plan is to be here every week to talk about the current events across the America's Rugby-verse. Of course, we'll have guests. We have two today that I think you will enjoy, and I'll have a chat with our own Paul Tate later on. Um, With everything going on, we rushed this out a little bit and didn't have a good idea for a name. So the the placeholder name is the America's Rugby Show, but uh, that sounds a little too similar to the American Rugby Pod that already exists. If you haven't checked that out, please do. Warren and Preston do a great job. Uh, I messaged them yesterday uh, actually to let them know that we're not trying to mess with their mojo. So If you have a good idea for what to call this podcast moving forward, let us know on Facebook, Twitter, just reply below on this post on the website, wherever. And if we see something great, we'll give you credit and maybe let you pick one of the guests or be a guest or something. We'll figure it out. Uh, Also, we're working on getting connected with iTunes, other podcast distribution ports out there. If there's one in particular you'd like us to connect with, uh, please let us know that as well. So it's all, you know, a bit of a work in progress. Um, Before I talk to our first guest, I just wanted to review some of the results from the past few days. Of course, we have the World Cup Repechage competition fast approaching. Germany has already wrapped up their warm-up games. Hong Kong lost to the Dragons reserve side, that's a the uh, as in the Pro 14 club, and then beat Welsh Invitational side Crochets in Neath. Uh, 35-24 the score there. Um Kenya played Romania A on Saturday. They lost 36-5, to basically a scrimmage with about 30 guys on each team. Not a great result for the Simbas, but it did give us an idea of where Coach Ian Snook is looking to use guys. For instance, Collins Injera played at outside center, and Sam Oliich was the fly half. Both, of course, World 7 Series standouts. Uh, Romania actually offered to help them work on their scrum afterwards, which was nice of them. Uh, so they had another training session with uh, Thomas Lievremont and company before departing for France. Canada beat Oxford last week in Coventry on Monday night. The Oxford match, kind of a B-side run out. The Coventry match had uh, more of the starters out there, just missing a few of the backs maybe. Nice to see them getting a couple wins before the big games. We'll have uh, more in-depth looks at the repechage as the week progresses, and we'll have a chat about that with one of our guests uh, coming up shortly. Uruguay were defeated pretty handily by Cardiff Blues in their first stop in their European tour. That was last night. And the rugby weekend was, well, let's just say not very competitive. The women's eagles were smashed by the Black Ferns. Ireland crushed Italy. And the men's eagles were outclassed by the Maori. I heard a suggestion that maybe Ireland should have played the Maori and the eagles played Italy. Well, in retrospect, that... Probably would have been a better idea. Uh, Trebol de Paisandu defeated Old Christians to win the Uruguay Club Championship. That's the first ever 
title win for Trebol, a great game that went into extra time that actually required a penalty shootout to get a winner. And I just want to mention the uh, the Canadian Women's University Championships that I happen to be doing commentary on. Uh, St. FX X Women defeating the Guelph Griffins in the final. That's their sixth national title. Congrats to them. Uh, Ottawa edged Laval in a nail-biter to win the bronze. Uh, some really outstanding rugby played. Special mention for Acadia who gave defending champs Ottawa an incredible battle in the quarterfinal. One of the best rugby games I've seen all year. Uh, this is a factory for the senior women's team. Olivia Demerchant, the World Cup prop, was playing for Santa Vex. She was named player of the tournament. Uh, Sophie DeGoody playing for Queens, an, an amazing talent who's got a long international career ahead. Alicia Corrigan, a star for Katie in the midfield. So just tons of great talent on display. Uh, there's now a National Men's University Championship coming up in a couple weeks in BC, but it's not on a level playing field because it doesn't have U-sports status. That's kind of the Canadian equivalent of the NCAA. Uh, it, it would be really nice to see the men have the same level of support, uh, you know, just one part of a long-term big-picture strategy to get Canadian men's rugby back on track. Another big piece of that puzzle was finally confirmed on Friday, and that is, of course, the announcement that the Toronto Arrows will be part of the 2019 Major League Rugby season, Canada's first professional rugby union team. I spoke to my first guest about that very thing on Monday evening. And we are joined now by Mark Winokur, General Manager of the Toronto Arrows, the first Canadian franchise in Major League Rugby. Mark, congratulations. And after such a long and somewhat drawn-out process, how does it feel to finally be able to say that? Well, you know, it, it feels kind of strange. And to be honest, I don't think I'm across it yet. It, it, it was a very, very long <laughs> process. I wouldn't say drawn out. It was more deliberate. But yeah, it was a very long process with a, with a ton of moving parts and as long as I've been in business, which is a couple of years, um, this was one of the more difficult projects. So it, it, it sure does feel good to, to get across the line. Yeah. Before we look at where the team is at right now and where it's headed, obviously, I, I want to just look back for a minute. We often hear stories about how great ideas start on like a napkin at a coffee shop or something uh, like that. Obviously, you've been involved with uh, high performance rugby for many years with the Ontario Blues and uh, the national programs as well. Also, uh, Bill Webb, obviously, he's been involved with Rugby Canada quite a while uh, Well, and Rugby Ontario as an in investor and so on. But when did the actual idea for the Arrows specifically really start? Well, you know, I mean, I would hate to say that it was a big, I would love to say rather that it was a big scientific thing and, you know, it took years of calculation, but it really didn't. Um, we hosted Glendale here as the Blues in May of 17, which is only a year and a half ago. And, and you know, they, they were the top team. They had just announced they were going pro. They came up here and, you know, we, we gave them a, a pretty good hiding. We won, uh, I think, 43-25. And Bill, who I'd only briefly met once and really did not know, uh, approached me on the touchline after the game and said, hey, if I put some people together and, and, you know, maybe get some backing for this thing, could you build a team to go into this MLR? And I said, yes, I can. And he said, wow, I like the confidence. Let me, let me call you tomorrow. And the next thing you know, we kind of went from there. So it's, uh, we went from talking maybe once a week to about once an hour now. So it's... Um, it, you know, it's really just one of those um, time and circumstance stories. And, and, you know, certainly without him and his, his backers, we wouldn't have got it done. But 
um, I, I wouldn't say there was any great science that went into it. And I mean, just looking at it from from his perspective, obviously being involved with Rugby Canada, is this driven, uh, you know, largely to put these players uh, to to improve the standard not only of rugby in Ontario but but in Canada, giving them kind of a new uh, venue, a new avenue to get to international rugby and just kind of you know almost make a living, hopefully in the future uh, as rugby players. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it, it, there's there's two pieces to this. It's you know one to help uh, Canada. Uh, get back on its feet internationally and two to be a commercial success not necessarily in that order but but they both have to they both have to work both those things have to have to be in effect for this to be a success we think they will but we're really going to concentrate on building a a canadian uh platform for these guys to play pro rugby and if you look at the world rankings almost everybody ahead of us has a domestic pro team or competition and we don't and, and that's just not a coincidence in my view the latest thing obviously we saw you know we kind of known for a while that the team was coming into major league rugby now so we've just kind of been building until this announcement that came on friday but uh, maybe one thing that came as a surprise to quite a few people was the name change you've now gone from the ontario arrows to the toronto arrows the the original idea uh, as i understand it the arrows were kind of building on that ontario brand momentum started uh, by the blues in the canadian rugby championship and now in the end, you've opted to switch it to the arrow. So what ultimately uh, drove that name change decision? Well, you know, I think there were a number of things. I think the biggest one was was corporate Canada and corporate America saying that Toronto had perhaps more global brand recognition than did Ontario. You know, I think we went to play um, the Utah Warriors in Rio Tinto Stadium earlier this year, and they referred to us as the Ottawa Arrows for the whole night, which wasn't hugely appreciated by, by anybody involved. But we thought that, um, you know, so we kind of took a poll of, of, you know, what are the sponsors and what are the TV networks and so on. Think about it, and, you know, money does talk. So that was the, the decision tree, and um, we did, you know, obviously change the logo to put people who apparently are very worried about it at ease, the prime base color will still be blue. So you know, we're not completely going off the rails with it here, but um, we're, we're excited about the rebrand. We, we love the new logo and some of the variations on it. And uh, I think when you see the new kit, you'll, you'll, you'll see we've taken a, a decent step. You've already led into basically what my next question was. We saw that new logo, and uh, notably for me, the gold is gone from that logo. Is that going to be reflected in that new jersey as well? Uh, you know, I couldn't possibly comment, as, <laughs> as, the, as the folks say. But, you know, I, I mean, we have far more uh, critical things to worry about than that. We're we're real pleased with the new look. It's not, a, a, you know, a radical departure from, from what we looked like before. There'll still be lots of blue, and I, I think folks will be happy happy with it. So, yeah, I haven't seen the schedule as of right now yet. We're expecting it imminently any day now uh some of san diego's fixtures have sort of leaked unconfirmed obviously they have the arrows down for march 10th at torero uh, stadium obviously with the the weather being what it is you're going to be spending the first few weeks in the road i think we can uh, safely assume that can you tell us when the first home game might be it's going to be in early april uh obviously you know we're in a situation along with new york uh and and new england when they come in where, you know, you cannot play uh, rugby safely in, in January and February and most of March in any of those venues. So we'll be on the road uh, for the first eight games, and then we'll be home for the last eight. So you can assume an early April uh, start for us uh, at home, and, and we think if we can come off our road trip with a, a decent record, 
we can make a real good run at things here. Well, that's quite a streak. Uh, and, of course, you've been playing at, at York University, kind of been going back and forth between the alumni field and uh, the, York, the the stadium there, York Lions Stadium, uh, the turf field, you know, depending on that weather. Uh, you got a pretty good arrangement uh, there. But, you know, looking at how well the Wolfpack, uh, the rugby league side, has been doing with their attendance, uh, you know, some debate as to how they're filling that <laughs> with so many people. But they are doing pretty well. Uh, I know you've got a very cordial relationship with them uh, off the field. Are you, are you maybe looking at their success and thinking um, maybe we can do a little bit better uh, attendance-wise or, I mean, are getting close to certainly where they're at? I think they're, you know, claiming around 7,000 or something like that a game. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, any thoughts to maybe looking at a bigger venue? Is there a chance we could see you sharing the same venue, maybe at Lamport? There's a couple of options on the table, uh, Brian, to be candid, and, and we have to look at what's best for us, you know, it, on a, almost a monthly basis. So, you know, we may we may have one solution and we may have two solutions. Um, I, I think people will be happy with what we come up with. We're in good shape. Um, it, it seems like, you know, we've got, we've got, uh, we're spoiled for choice there. Um, and in, in terms of the Wolfpack, I mean, I, I don't see a lot of commonality between the, the businesses where, you know, Canadian, a Canadian, uh, owned, operated and, and, you know, player base and, and management base team. So, um, you know, I think people will figure that out soon enough. But once we do get this sorted, I think people will be happy with the options they've got and, and, you know, we'll move forward. Uh, accordingly and and even having said that it's probably a 2019 solution only because we'll have even more options in 2020 with some of the plans that that um that the number of venues around the city have for for development so uh, you guys got an early start uh, a clear advantage that you your team is is having but you know deriving from that blues program is uh, kind of the infrastructure uh, uh, off field especially has been pretty consistent the whole time can we expect to see the same uh, same group uh, i guess looking at the coaching staff can we like is chris silverthorne going to continue as head coach well we you know we will have um um a very similar group because to be honest Brian you know we've won six of the last eight canadian rugby championships uh playing as the arrows we were pretty successful this year we've got a very strong team culture and I think the the shared belief is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, we'll obviously going to make some uh, significant additions. I think those will be reflected in some of the early player signings and some of the signings that that'll come in the next couple of weeks. But for the most part, you know, we're going to be a Canadian solution for for players and for and for staff because if we don't start building a player base and a staff base that can take Canada into the international. Uh, realm, then we're, we're really missing out on almost the point of the exercise. Mentioning there, on the player front, obviously there's a salary cap in place. Kind of the strategy we saw this past season seemed to be about uh, 15 to 20 players on a team with sort of these kind of full-time deals supported by another like 10 to 15 uh, kind of locals on part-time deals. Is that about what you're looking at uh, roster-wise? Yeah, I think we'll be a little bit heavier on the full-time player front, probably two-thirds, one-third is the ratio we're looking at. And I mean, for some of these guys, you know, some of the part-time guys who are very good rugby players, they just can't afford to quit their job where they're making, you know, three X what they would make from us because of the cap and and just, you know, all of a sudden play rugby for that much less money. So, you know, some of them will be on, on part-time, but we've got a, we've got a shot. We think at 20 to 22 full-timers and sort of, you know, eight to 10 notionally um, part-time guys that, that will be, probably just as good as the full-timers, but their circumstances and, you know, their lifestyle 
um, forces them into that decision. Right. We, you know, we've seen that with other teams. Uh, the ones that come to mind, obviously, Glendale, New York. They've got, you know, Seamus Kelly has got a day job with New York. Uh, Zach Finolio with, with Glendale. Um, you know, and aside from from those two teams and, and your team, everyone else has basically been starting from scratch. You know, putting bringing guys ev- uh, from all over the place. Whereas the Arrows, a number of guys have been playing with the team almost since day one, and obviously before that with the Blues. So uh, it's probably safe. We can assume guys like Rob Brower, AJ Quatron, Mike Shepard. I know Andrew Ferguson's going to be there when he heals up. It's safe to assume that the roster is going to be a lot of familiar names. Uh, there will be, yeah, and all those guys that you named, you know, we want to have involved for sure. Um, I think you'll see, you know, as I said, you'll probably see 18 to 20 of the guys that we've carried with the Blues for the last few years, and the next 10 to 12 will be um, some new faces, some Canadians and, and some not. Uh, there were three uh, Canada Sevens regulars with the team against Glendale and New England in these fall matches. You had Matt Mullins, Andrew Coe, Lucas Hammond. They all looked, uh, you know, after some time away. Well, Andrew Coe's kind of been going back and forth between, but specifically for Mullins and Hammond, they've been kind of away for a while. They look pretty good, really. Uh, now that off-field standoff has kind of cooled between the Sevens team and Rugby Canada. The Sevens guys are back in uh, centralized training. Uh, what Are we going to see any of these guys, these, I guess, three guys also? Uh, I guess uh, Josiah Moore also, I should mention him. Any of these guys with the arrows? Yeah. Um, you know, it, that's a hard maybe. <laughs> I, the, the situation is still very freshly resolved, and uh, there still needs to meet the more, some more discussion. We, you know, when we when we brought them in for the fall, they weren't playing any rugby, and and they wanted to, and they're hardcore Ontario guys, all of whom had played for the Blues before, and you know just loved the environment and and really were keen to get back involved. You know, they may make another decision, but they need to make that decision. That's not something we're going to pressure them on. And with that, that strength and depth that you have available is really. Um really something I think that stands unique with, with the Arrows compared to other teams. You know, we've seen you bring in uh, players from the Atlantic provinces as well. I think we can probably expect to see, like, for instance, Cole Keith. I'm assuming he's probably going to yep. be suiting up for the Arrows. Uh, as far as the overseas uh, contingent goes, we've seen, like, Kieran Martin and Lee Kegel were here in Halifax, but, of course, they're already based in Ontario. Um, I guess we look back, we saw Alex Glickston was the one addition in the spring from the yep. Saracens yeah. Academy. Um can we can we expect any guys from overseas come in? You also have a partnership with the Hurricanes that was announced in April. And when I asked uh, their CEO Avin Lee, he said there was a possibility maybe a player or two would be sent over. Are we going to see any Southern Hemisphere guys in the team? Yeah, you will. Uh, yeah, you will. Um, there's one in the in the first group of players that we signed, and you know we're 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 discussing. We're having some pretty advanced talks with another another one or two. So you, you will. Um, and I think the final makeup of our squad, you'll probably see, you know, if we've got 30 guys fully signed that 25 of them, 24 of them are Canadian because that's still our mandate. And, and we will see some of, you will see some of these guys and you'll see guys from, from other places. And, you know, uh, we do have uh, a signing announcement to make and there'll be a lot more in the next couple of weeks. We're obviously very late to the party here. Right, but I'm assuming. I mean, you've known you've you were coming in for a little while, even though it wasn't really, you know, officially official until uh, a Friday. You've had some time to kind of have these discussions uh, already. Sure. Is it just kind of looking up your lineup and, and trying to find, say, maybe we need a you know a little boost here, a little boost there, or is it just yeah. a matter of seeing the quality that's available out there? Yeah, well, you know, m- more more looking at what we had and trying to backfill, um, and we think we've we've gone a long way to doing that. 
it's just there's a lot of moving pieces to the process, right? You, when you sign one, then that that closes a door there, and then you have to open another door in another place. And you know, obviously, starting uh, a bit late, but we're we figure we're in good shape. We've got 12 that we can announce now, and and there'll be another you know 12 in the next couple of weeks, and we should be pull up and go by December 1st and, and ready to go. Something people may not be aware of is the Arrows Academy was actually also running in the spring. They played in the uh, the Eastern Canadian Super League. I know Major League Rugby is big on uh, on that community involvement and having these kind of youth programs running also alongside their team. I'm assuming the, the Academy program is going to be continuing in some capacity this year? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we have to take advantage of the, 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 the unique advantage that we have, which is We've got, you know, a, a junior system coming out of the Ontario Junior Blues and Senior Blues that's developed dozens and dozens of quality and international players. And we want to not only continue that, but we want to enhance it and give these guys more opportunities to play so that in two years we don't even have to look overseas. We can just pluck guys out of the academy and, and sign them and get them going. One of the frustrations, I think, for for Canadians last season anyways, was the inability to watch about a third of the matches due to the CBS deal, or at least it was very tricky. Only a limited number of Canadians had access to that. So now that the arrows are in, can we expect to see a better broadcast arrangement for Canadian viewers? Absolutely. I think we're working on that right now. And uh, yeah, you should be, you will certainly be able to see uh, every arrows game home and away. And, you know, we're, we're hoping to get the rest of the games, uh, across the line as well, and I don't really see that as being a problem. So uh, I, I can certainly say that, you know, Arrows 100%, you'll get to see every game, and uh, the rest, you know, we certainly would like to get those available in the Canadian market. And I think Major League Rugby kind of recognized that, didn't maybe understand uh, the limited access to that CBS deal. So, I mean, here you are, you're getting close now. Obviously, I'm, I'm sure you've got a lot to deal with between now and kickoff, even though, you know, it's a those months are going to, those weeks are going to go by really quickly. So, I mean, what are the main things for you uh, between now and the start of the season to get wrapped up? Um, everything. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a little, it's a little hairy at the moment. Um, you know, we have to lock in venues, TV deals, player contracts, staff contracts, uh, season ticket platform deal, uh, rebrand the website, get the kid in, um, and then, you know, a dozen tertiary, secondary and tertiary issues that come off of all those. So uh, it's going to be, and it is busy. That <laughs> sounds like you've got an awful lot on your plate then. All right, well, I won't take up too much more of your time here. So before I let you go, any predictions for the season coming up? I know you guys, uh, when I talked to Bill uh, earlier, he was very confident saying, hey, we already beat the you know Utah last year, and they were uh, in the playoffs. So uh, I'm assuming you must be going confidence. And, and, and if you do actually come through and earn a victory in that first season, how do you plan on getting a 2,000-pound MLR shield back across the the border well that's going to be sort of a problem to worry about at the time and that's not even you know i mean that's listen that's not even a thing that we're thinking about we believe we're doing things the right way we're building a strong canadian team uh, we've been pretty methodical about it so that we try and eliminate mistakes before they happen um we think we can compete with these teams we've seen no indication that we cannot um, they seem a little leery of us, which, you know, uh, I'm doing nothing to dispel. But, you know, what happened last year happened last year. Uh, you know, some of those teams will be vastly improved and changed. And, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put much stock in 
in what happened last year, but we're confident in our ability to, to produce a, you know, a, a good product on the field that can compete in the NLR. Yes, I will say that. Well, I think uh, from what we've seen so far, we can be confident in saying that that is going to happen. Well, congratulations again on all of this. And uh, I can safely say on behalf of all Canadians, we're massively excited to see the Arrows finally in Major League Rugby. So good luck to you for the next few busy weeks. And I uh, can't wait to see the start of the uh, MLR season. Thanks, Brian, and happy to talk to you guys anytime. And that was Mark Winnaker, general manager of the Toronto Arrows. Make sure you check out their website. Give their social media platforms a follow. New signings are on the way. Since I had that conversation, we now have the list of the first 12 signings. Uh, eight kind of expected who have already played for the Arrows. The returnees, so to speak, are props. Uh, Rob Brower and Cole Keith. Hooker Steve Ng. Second row, Paul Cellini. Flankers Peter Malazzo and Lucas Rumble. Scrum half Andrew Ferguson and winger Kainoa Lloyd. Very exciting winger. There's one to watch. Uh, lots of quality there. Four new guys. Theo Souter from BC, he was a surprise to me. He's one of the up-and-coming stars of Canadian rugby. He can play fly half, wing, fullback, a very exciting attacker. Gaston Mieres, more than 60 caps for Uruguay. Classy outside back. Uh, Jack Evans arrives from the UK. He's played for Wales up to under-18 level, but he was actually born in Victoria, lived in Canada for a bit before uh, heading across the pond. He's usually a fullback. And Morgan Mitchell, uh, the first-choice tighthead prop for Southland, in the Mitre 10 Cup. A really interesting character. He's deaf and recently got a cochlear implant to help him uh, hear. So he just adds to what is going to be a very intimidating Arrows front row. Uh, we also have the full schedule. The Arrows have the honor of playing in the 2019 MLR season opener against New Orleans. The Gold, by the way, have made some amazing signings in the offseason. Kyle Bailey, Ignacio Dotti, Cam Dolan, etc., their roster's uh, up now on the ARN site, most of it anyway, so that's going to be a cracking game. First home game in Toronto is also against the Gold. New rivalries starting there, maybe. April 7th is that game at the moment, penciled in at York University. My next guest won't be part of Major League Rugby, at least not yet. Uh, he has been playing down south. He also happens to be suiting up this weekend in a game of, you know, some importance. And we are joined by Evan Olmsted, Canadian international uh, globetrotter and Mitre 10 Cup champion. Uh, Evan, thanks for joining us. Has your body recovered from the battle at Eden Park yet? Uh, yeah, it has. I'm, I'm a couple kilos heavier than before the game, uh, so <laughs> I'm working. I'm working on that at the moment. But no, it's uh, it's recovered. It's recovered. Uh, of course, we're talking about Auckland's uh, stunning comeback uh, over Canterbury in the New Zealand Provincial Grand Final. Uh, and I'll be honest, I was watching uh, watching the game. I was considering almost turning it off when it was about 15 nothing in the first half. And then a uh, man who scored on at the post, so I decided to stick around him. I'm glad I did. Uh, I was impressed with Auckland's uh, determination to play attacking rugby despite the crappy weather. You came back. It was tied at 80 minutes. And I can remember seeing you kind of like stumble around early in extra time. And I wondered how you were going to make it to the end. So what's going through your mind when you're that exhausted and suddenly you've got to last another 20 minutes in a game like that? Uh, that's, it's kind of like 
the it's just the the mind is willing, but the the body sort of you know every now and then just kind of reminds you about that. So like I actually uh, I felt pretty good about it. You know, just every now and then needed to catch my breath a little bit. But no, it, like you say, we did we like to play an attacking style of rugby. We've been doing that. We've been doing that all season. So you know, with that comes a little bit of lung burning every now and then. So um, and. And when, when we turn back and just look at things like the GPS meters, it wasn't like drastically different than the rest of the games we played just because I think we hadn't really fired a shot for the first 60 minutes of that game. We were just kind of like parked down our own end defending, uh, you know, Canterbury attack. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, you just got to get on with it. Basically, you just keep on keeping on. You know, we've, we're all professional. We train for that. Well, not for 100 minutes, but you train to make sure you're nice and fit and in tip-top shape. So... You know, hope when those sort of situations come that you don't just keel over. So long story short, uh, they scored once. You guys got two quick tries. You hold on for the victory. The final whistle comes after 100 minutes. That had to be a massive relief when you finally heard that. It absolutely was. You know, that was uh, like one of one of the feelings going over. It was just that relief, you know, that, you know, we, we'd come so far from, you know, the team that uh, had almost got relegated the year before, you know, almost almost lost our first game to Counties. You know, we did lose to Targo and Josh Larson's mob, um, and just managed. But we played we played so well all season and didn't want to stumble at the final hurdle. You know, and it was uh, obviously nice to be able to know that you're going to be able to put your feet up and enjoy a few celebratory beers with the with the boys, and that was really good. Yeah, great team performance, but also a tremendous individual performance. Man of the match, you're given the game ball. That's quite a memento. I know as a player, it's hard to you know pick out one great great game from another, but that has to stand out among the rest. No, it definitely, uh, definitely does. I don't, I don't recall a game you know where I where I played like that, or you know for as long anyway. Uh, so I was, I was really pleased, and obviously you know you don't play for those kind of accolades, but it's always nice. Uh, to to get that little tap on the shoulder and uh yeah just awesome awesome feeling because you know it's a great group of guys as well and just to be able to you know to celebrate rather than commiserate at the end of the season is uh bloody worth its weight in gold so yeah i mean as you mentioned larson playing with otago uh tyler ardron also with bay of plenty so you know you got that ball now and you got the title is that kind of a little bit of bragging rights with those guys Oh yeah, they they uh they try they try not to let me mention anything about Auckland while I'm here, but you know I'll sneak in a little one every now and then just to keep them on their toes, just to rub just to rub it in a little bit. Uh, but no, no, they uh they're all uh, they they all watch the game. They're all very supportive. I think especially it's it's easy to cheer for uh, to Auckland when it's against Canterbury because no one likes Canterbury down there. So <laughs> it's uh, uh it was good. They were I think they were pleased as well. Uh, so then a couple days later, the Blues Super Rugby squad is announced, and uh, lo and behold, you're not in it. Now, it's not entirely a surprise. The vast majority, if not all of those spots, are signed up early in the uh, the Mitre 10 season. Uh, it seems like you're just the kind of the unlucky odd man out, but looking at last Super Rugby season, almost every team used uh, six locks last year. The Blues actually went through eight so it seems like there's still a good chance that you'll you'll get a shot to make an appearance. Is that kind of the plan at the moment to stick it out with the kind of extended squad and see what happens? Yeah, that that's the plan at the moment. The um, the coach has been in contact with me and sort of let me know that they wanted me to stick around and um, 
you know, they've got a couple guys coming back from injuries. Um, so they've, you know, they want me to sign on as like an injury cover for preseason and then, um, you know, see, see what happens come round one. Um, if, if guys are still injured or whatever, um, then maybe there'll be an opportunity for me there. But, you know, in, in saying that, because it's a bit of a funny time, you know, there's the, the European season is well underway. So, you know, to, to sign in Europe would probably be either on injury cover there or for the next season starting in September. Um, so pretty, you know, it's a pretty, it's a pretty good option, I guess, just to, to be over there and obviously Super Rugby is something I want to do and just try and hopefully uh, put my hand up in preseason. And if one or two injuries go my way, then stick it out there. But the, uh, the one good thing about that is, if any other New Zealand Super Rugby team has an injury, they can pick me up as well while I'm over there. So I'm not, I'm not stuck with the Blues if they don't want me. Oh, yeah, and I guess you know you don't get many chances at Super Rugby, really. Uh, we'll get to Canada next. I, I just wanted to get your impression of the standard of rugby in the Mitre Ten Cup versus the English uh, Premiership. Obviously, you were with uh, Newcastle, and there's probably some Newcastle fans wishing you were still there. Um, uh, now, important to note that Auckland won the Mitre 10 Premiership, which is the top division of that provincial competition. So it, it's not quite super rugby, but certainly the finals are probably as close as it gets in New Zealand rugby. So does it match up in terms of intensity to the Northern Hemisphere? Definitely. Uh, you know, a lot of the, the, there's quite a few All Blacks playing in that game. You know, basically every player on the field has super rugby experience, uh, if they're not already a full squad member, they might have been one of those replacement players last year. Um, it definitely does. I mean, the Premiership is probably a bit more of a direct and physical league. You know, the, the set-piece elements are probably a, have a heavier emphasis on in the English Premiership. Uh, however, I don't think you can really match the running, the skill um, of the players in New Zealand. You know, there's a few guys who can sidestep in the English League. You know, you think of Sonotti Sonotti, uh, you know, Nicky Gonova, uh, Toulouse Veanu. But every player in the back line in New Zealand is capable of those things that those guys do. Um, so there's just threats all over the park. Uh, the, the, the running, you know, there's not as much kick battle as there is in the UK. As you kind of mentioned uh, earlier, even though it was absolutely pissing rain, um, we were still attacking and running with the ball and didn't really kick it away too much. Whereas I think in the UK, it's a lot more about the territorial battle, whereas in New Zealand, people are more willing to play from anywhere if, it, if the opportunity presents itself. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a different competition, but I'd say it stacks up for sure. And, you know, talking about that, not just the style, uh, different difference but I mean you're also playing a lot of blindside flanker uh with Auckland kind of switching to lock in at the at the ends of the games it looked like uh with Canada you're pretty much always at lock I think you started one game on the blindside do you have a preference which position to play and is it is it a big big adjustment switching from that free-flowing blindside flanker role to a more structured second row uh job that you've got yeah, um, it, I definitely prefer playing blindside if I, if I can. But, you know, I'm, as you mentioned, I've played a lot of lock, so I'm equally comfortable there. Um, it is going to be a little bit different. I am, uh, you know, uh, the, the Canadian team has got a few structures. Like we're trying to stick quite uh, strictly to these structures at the moment, and it's kind of had a bit of success with the Canada A team with their French tour, then their Uruguay tour they've just gone to, um, and so we're trying to, you know, stick to this structure and. You know, the whole New Zealand emphasis, or at least the Auckland emphasis, is stick to your structure until it gets you a break, and then you just 
play what you see and play play flat and on top. Uh, so it's a little bit it's a little bit different, uh, you know, just trying to stick to that sort of system. But no, it's it's uh, it's good. I you know if if I'm, they need someone to just put their head in rocks and bury their head in the scrum, then then I'll do that. The uh, the domestic guys have been in down in Uruguay and Montevideo with the uh, America's Pacific Challenge. They've across come across now. You've got a, a lot of the professionals in Europe coming together. Uh, you have gone New Zealand to Singapore, uh, over to England. Now you're in Marseille. Uh, you got a, a rest for the Oxford game, then you're back out against Coventry on Monday. So how did that Coventry match go? Do you feel like uh, you and the team kind of shook out the jet lag? Yeah, that that was pretty much that was pretty much it for me. Uh, you know, definitely didn't light the world on fire, but you know, I was pretty happy with my involvements. Um, played like 50 minutes and came back on at the very end of the game for an HIA when someone else got HIA'd. Uh, yeah, it was it was a pretty good game. You know, we definitely played better than we'd been training, and that was you know it, we're we're realistic. We know that wasn't the Coventry's number one side, but it's still a good side of professional players. Um, and we beat them pretty pretty comfortably, really. We probably should have scored three or four more tries. They got one over on us in the mall, which we've been working today to sort of iron out those sort of kinks in the in the system. But yeah, there's a few guys kind of shaking off jet lag um, or you know end of season beers as it is. And uh, yeah, I think you know training hard now. We're pretty much 100% firing, ready to go uh, on Sunday. Yeah, and Sunday is the start of the the repishas, the the big Kahuna as far as Canada is concerned. Uh, what's the mood in in camp like right now? Oh, it's it's pretty positive. You know, we've uh, we've won three games in a row, can, uh, including that Tonga game in the uh, APC. So that's you know that's pretty unheard of for us in recent times. And you know, we've been we've been getting a kicking from pretty much everyone about not getting results. So. We've got three results. Now we just need to make it four, then five, then six. So we're focusing on the, the first challenge first. We've been sort of analyzing the the Kenya team, seeing what they do, which is, you know, uh, to be honest, quite a lot, quite different to most other teams that we've played. Um, you know, they're a bit they're a bit more fast and loose. They definitely, you can see the sevens influence in their game. Um, they've got, you know, undoubtedly some athletes, uh, some, you know, some speed, some sort of, some uh, deception in their running. So, you know, we just got to prepare for that. Um, I, th- I think, you know, the personnel we have on hand is as good as we've had for the last, you know, two years probably. So with everyone, uh, you know, knock on wood, staying healthy, uh, hopefully do a job this Sunday. Yeah, Kenya, looking at, at their match, they played the Romania A side in kind of a scrimmage in the weekend. It looked like they were uh, taken apart in the scrum, which, you know, is to be expected, I guess, with the Romanians. Is that an area where you guys think you can dominate? Uh, yeah, it's definitely an area we're looking to target. Uh, we, we've had Massimo, the, our new scrum coach, in, and we've been changing a few things about our scrum. And, you know, in, in recent years, actually, you know, our scrum has probably been one of the areas, uh, like, you know, some of the, some of the the backs might not agree, but I reckon it's one of the areas we've done pretty well in. We think back to those um, qualify games against the U.S. and Uruguay. I thought our set piece was quite good. So if we can make that even better and really turn that from just a you know a strength into a real weapon, then you know I think we might be able to cut off a source of possession for them and potentially earn ourselves a few penalties. And with that kind of uh, with that kind of mentality, we could be able to strangle the life out of a team you know that that wants to play loose and fast 
So, you know, I think that that will be uh, an important part of the game for us. Is that uh, Massimo? Is that Massimo Cotita, the uh, the former yeah. Italian pro? That is, yes. Oh, I, I, I didn't know how to say his last name, so I'm glad you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for those who don't know, long-time Italian prop, and he's been quite an experienced scrum coach as well. So that's that's pretty good. I didn't actually know he was with you guys, so that's interesting. Uh, you've got Germany after that, then Hong Kong. So obviously you're looking at uh, Kenya first. Have you looked at any footage on those guys yet, or is it really just a matter of one step at a time? No, yeah, just one step at a time for me. Um, I know, like, just I've just had a look at their squad announcement in, Ger- in Germany. I see they've got a heavy South African influence. Yeah. I know uh, Morris Botha is over there as their forwards coach or line-out coach. I know he's got something to do with the forward pack. Uh, he was one of my teammates at Newcastle, uh, in- a former England second rower, also uh, from South Africa originally. So there's a- there's obviously going to be a heavy South African influence. So you know. I- you know, just without without having actually watched them play, because obviously focusing on Kenya, I just expect a lot of malls and a lot of scrums. So I imagine it might be a, a little bit of a different game than than the Kenya one. But yeah, don't haven't really looked at them yet. Wait, you know, we'll we'll start that basically analysis straight away after the Kenya game. Around half the squad right now is, is, has been to the World Cup before. Uh, Canada has obviously qualified for every World Cup before that. Is kind of the enormity, the, the historical significance this. Is this something that the, the veterans talk about with the guys who haven't experienced that World Cup yet? Um, not, not too much, really. Uh, I, think, I think everyone knows the enormity of the occasion, whether they'd be into the World Cup or not. Uh, I know, you know there's a lot of guys who are obviously really hungry, to make it, you know, younger guys who've come in, or, or guys, even older guys, who are just kind of getting their break now. Um, so I don't think anyone really needs to be impressed upon how important this is for us. Um, everyone's obviously taking it. You know, this is this is the most sort of organized and sort of put together I've seen the Canadian team. Obviously, um, Kingsley's had the 15 the 15s players training. Uh, in Langford and going on a few prepar- uh, preparation tours, you know, that, that went to France and then to Montevideo. So while they might not have got results, they've obviously been working on systems, trying to figure out what works, what doesn't. And now we're all kind of coming together and trying to put those things together and then just get results because, um, you know, that's basically what it comes down to right now. It doesn't really matter how you do it. You just got to get the wins. So I think everyone's pretty keen for it. I don't think they need to be told. Marseille is pretty much your home for the next three weeks, or you know, best part of that, and uh, which also happens to be you're, you're really less than an hour from uh, Aix-en-Provence, where Jamie Cudmore, your old uh, World Cup second roadmate, happens to be coaching. Is he uh, stopped by at all to say hello, or is he planning on coming by at all? Uh, yeah, yeah, actually ran into uh, to Cuddles today. We've been uh, the, he's uh, kindly made uh, the gym available for us at Ax. And uh, we've been using one of their training pitches as well for a little unit session today or a little like walkthrough. And I'm pretty sure we're out there again tomorrow. So it's obviously very helpful to have a local on hand to, you know, help us out with uh, some facilities. You know, they've, they've obviously, they're a professional team. They've got a, a nice proper gym with some heavy weights for us. So that's, uh, that's good. We keep on top of the fitness and S&C. So, yeah, we, uh, we, ran, into, we ran into him today. He's... Seems to be doing well. Um, I think a few of the boys are hitting him up for jobs. We'll have to let him uh, comment on that. But you know, if he's uh, if he's listening, you know, Jamie, uh, I'm available. Let me know. 
Has anybody been sending text messages to Bermuda to get Hassler on a plane? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I sent him a message earlier today. He uh, he hasn't responded yet. Uh, <laughs> let me just let me just check. No, he hasn't. Um, but yeah, he seems to be uh, seems to be having fun. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he's permanently retired. Uh, you know, he's obviously having a little run around with the classics. But yeah, I don't I don't know. Um, I don't know if you're going to see him back in a, in a Rugby Canada jersey, unfortunately. But uh, you know, he'll, I'm sure he'll do well on whatever he wants to with his uh, sailing and whatnot in in the Caribbean. Sounds sounds tough. English winter to you know sailing yachts in the Caribbean. Not too bad. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, thankfully Canada has pretty good wing stocks as is. So uh, a couple softballs before I let you go. I cannot take credit for these first two questions. Uh, Vegemite or Marmite? Neither. They're both rubbish. Uh, are you a fan of Pavlova? Yes, it's excellent. Uh, apparently, yes, it's very good. apparently, there's a debate on whether this dessert started in Australia or New Zealand. Any thoughts on that? Well, I have been told a story before that apparently uh, it was originated in New Zealand, uh, but Australians were making it, but they got the name Pavlova from some Russian ballerina who was in Australia. So. <laughs> It's kind of made in New Zealand, but named in Australia. Okay. That's well, what I've been told anyway. So that could be complete bollocks, but who knows? We'll go with that. And since we're on the topic of food, if you had to pick one player from the Canadian team to pair up with you in an eating contest, who would it be? Oh, that is an easy, easy question. Uh, that would be my roommate sitting here with me now, Matt Tierney. Uh, I witnessed him put away three main meals with uh, sides at Nando's the other day then eat a milkshake and then have a burger about an hour later so he's obviously working on his tight head prop body which is very important for us we need that uh, we need that weight in the scrum so uh definitely definitely a tyranny <laughs> it looked like he was slimming down over with the, the paw pictures but no he is he is slimming down i don't know how he does it if i ate that much food i'd i'd explode but no he seems to be finding somewhere to put it i think it's all his uh He's doing a lot of fitness work, young Matt, so, you know, fair play to him. He can eat like that if he wants to put in the running meters and, uh, you know, kilometers on the bike. All right. Well, hopefully you guys don't eat too much before the game on Sunday. Thanks again for giving us your time. And it goes without saying best of luck against Canada and in the coming weeks. Uh, thanks, Brian. Have a good one. And that was Evan Olmsted. You can watch him playing for Canada on Sunday against Kenya in the opening round of the World Cup qualifier repechage series we're going to switch gears now we're going to talk uh, south american rugby and maybe a little of the rugby weekend with a resident guru from america's rugby news paul tate paul this is an incredibly busy time of year for us before we get into what's ahead though there's a few things we need to touch on from the past uh, few days the eagles play at the maori in chicago on the weekend and aside from the result uh, really probably isn't that surprising looking at it you know missing McGinty and and so on but the, the talking point from the game seems to be that, that body slam by Pari Pari Parkinson on Sean Davis the result a uh, yellow card no sanction after the game uh, what do you make of that I, I I looked right back to uh Sam Warburton from the World Cup in 2011 and, and figured this is a similar to his tackle on Vincent Clerc and thought to myself, this is going to be a red. It wasn't. And uh, I was really, really surprised because of everything going on, you know, over the last 
well, the last six months to one year, I, I would guess. For me, it was a red card. The guy threw him to the floor. It wasn't controlled. It, it, was, it was reckless. It wasn't safe. Uh, so it was definitely a red card miss. I have no idea uh, why, as I say, why I wasn't given. I mean, Sean Davis was, was taken off. He was con clear concussion, couldn't come back. So com just combining what actually happened to him, because remember, Vonson Gluck played out the match. He, he uh, uh, didn't, didn't require medical treatment, but some more, but was, was red carded. And, and basically everyone agrees that it was, well, not everyone, but <laughs> uh, enough people agree it was the right call. So I was pretty stunned that nothing happened. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's Carl Dixon's first international, I think. And, you know, you have to give him a little bit of you know, maybe leeway, but, you know, it, it seemed like he started to get the right decision. You know, he went over to uh, Alex Ruiz and he was like, okay, you know, players picked him up, slammed him to the ground. So check the replay. And uh, I think he said, judge the landing, you know, kind of, and then uh, issue the appropriate sanction. It's just weird that looking at that, you know, he said we, he, he got slammed in his back, but I mean, it's pretty clear from the video, his head bounces off the turf. You know, it just seems like such a, a weird, bizarre. I mean, surely looking at that, it's like a wrestling move out there. Surely that has no place in rugby. I found it a very, very bizarre interpretation. And to see, you know, no sighting as well, uh, equally a little bit worrying from world rugby. And, you know, we've already seen people fired up about this whole uh, Owen Farrell tackle. But to me, this was yeah. far worse than that. I was a bit, I was asking myself if this is related to the, the change that they've made now for. Uh, for November to have changing TMO powers. So I'm wondering if, if this had been with the TMO, you know, having greater voice, if it would have actually still been yellow and not red. And I mean, it, I don't know. I also wonder if, if the referee himself was in two minds because this was about four or five minutes after uh, Dixon also was yellow carded. So, I mean, you know, a young guy might could, could have been a bit, you know, reluctant to, to have, well, I've already got one yellow, I can't now red somebody, I don't know. But I, I did th think about it at the time, because it was just, for me, it was a red card, you, you can't have this going on. Yeah, I, you know, I, I was, I'm completely mystified, and I saw Alex, you know, Corbusero uh, tweeting about that as well, and, and he certainly agrees with that, and looking at the replay again, just, just stunned. But uh, another thing that's kind of a more positive note, that we saw recently uh, last week, we saw the rugby America's uh, selects play uh, against the Glendale Raptors. Of course, we had that world rugby combine uh, going on We had players from Brazil, uh, Chile, Uruguay, all involved. Um, and we've had since we've, we've had five uh, or I guess leading into, and now we've got five Teros confirmed for major league uh, rugby this year. Yeah. Gaston Mieres, we announced uh, to the arrows today and we just posted uh, Josh Reeves uh, heading to Utah. So he's the first Brazil player that we've, uh, well, we've, we've put on there. We've confirmed as far as destinations go. We, uh, there's a few more on the way. Uh, you know, what are the implications of this for South American rugby looking ahead, uh, not only at the international rugby, but also the impending uh, South American professional competition coming, uh, I guess, 2020. Well, the implications are huge. I mean, the problem's always been uh, the gap from uh, amateur to, to uh, professional and, you can't realistically expect to compete well, you know, against a, a higher rival without having your players exposed to the to the, the comparative level. I mean, it's all good to have one or two players at the top, 
but you, you, you know, you need to pack the team. I mean, even a team that is realistically in position for a World Cup semifinal better, they've got to have, I don't know, seven, eight world-class players. I mean, because you're going to have some guys in the team who are not the same level, but that ultimately doesn't matter because of the rest of the guys are, are as good as they are. And so you got a team like Uruguay, and uh, you've got some guys who are up there. I mean, uh, Rodrigo, Capoeira Dig, everyone knows how good that guy is. But he's been there doing it all by himself for so long. And now, hopefully, Uruguay are going to be able to cash in on having more guys playing, especially with Major League Rugby, because it's a huge gap going from the club game, uh, even to the uh, America's Rugby Championship. I mean, Uruguay always were, were well beaten by Canada, the United States. It's changing now, but that was the problem they had. It was just the gap was so so immense. So having you know Josh Reeves join Major League Rugby is huge. Uh, and hopefully, you know, what we're hearing is true, that, that there are going to be at least two more guys to follow him. And that's exactly what, what Brazil needs, not only for the, the team to, to uh, have uh, development going on, but also so that it can be a, a motivation for other guys because in Brazil, seeing you know a guy succeeding well uh, internationally is just considered tremendous. I, mean, I remember when I was playing here uh, five or so years ago, people were still talking about Fernando Portugal who played second division Italy, you know, thinking how much of a big deal that is. Looking ahead, it's absolutely a massive breakthrough. No, no doubt about it. We saw at the Combine guys, uh, Matteo Sanguinetti, Herman Kessler, uh, doing really well. Obviously, the front rowers are so good in, in South America. Um, just like in, uh, in Brazil, obviously, uh, we're hearing that Wilton Rebolo is signed for somebody, um, and I'm expecting the Sansari brothers and Moise Duque to, to end up somewhere. So we could have quite a quite a large stable of, of South Americans in Major League Rugby actually to watch, which is pretty exciting. Absolutely. You know, just Brazil specifically, I mean, just going from in quick time having absolutely strictly amateur basis, not having the, the system they have in place, which is a semi-professional one at home. Are we going to see them playing this weekend against the Maori All Blacks? And uh, it's going to be really interesting because now they're, they're going to be able to, for example, promote this is, oh, this is, you know, this is Fly Half Reeves, who's from the Crusaders Development Program in New Zealand. He's off uh, on his way to, to play Major League Rugby in the United States and, you know, and, and do the, all, all of these connections with, with the other players. And uh, people look at that and they're really, really blown away because it's like, oh, wow, oh, my God, so this isn't just some guy, you know, who randomly came here. He's actually got this background and he, now, now he's moving on to do this, this and the next thing because uh, a lot of people just are not aware of this. I mean, I was... Uh, uh, seeing comments about Uruguay's match today uh, and uh, people were commenting on uh, Santiago Arata about his, how he got a good break and almost scored and and that the Blues were, were lucky to have saved a certain try. And, and you know, that's the thing. Uh, those of us who have been following, we're not surprised by that at all because we've been seeing him do that in the America's Rugby Championship and the World Under-20s and so, and so on and so forth. And him signing... For Houston, it is much more of a case of this. This is a big signing. Then, oh, this is great for for Uruguay because he is literally a player who could be a tier one standard in terms of 
of status playing for a big European club. I mean, I've no doubt about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, some of us are almost surprised that he hasn't gone, or Rada hasn't gone to uh, to Europe yet, but maybe this, you know, opens the door. Talking about Uruguay, of course, they, today they played the, the Cardiff Blues, and of course people have been able to see some of those players, and they're going to play Ulster, I guess it's on, on Friday coming up. Uh, you know, it, it looks like they're kind of trying to mimic their World Cup schedule, scheduling games really tight in between a little bit, um, but also... Just testing guys out, you know, um, looking at different combinations and so on. One of the things, obviously, uh, we, we've been looking at is who's going to back up uh, Barchese at, at number 10, who their other options. Is that uh, kind of what you see going on today in the next game? Not really looking for a result, but just testing people out? Definitely. I mean, uh, is there a replacement for uh, Barchese? We, we're not sure, are we? Um so we have Rio Silver today. Mixed performance. He, he's, you know, he's had he's had more than one opportunity there. He's a fullback, good one, very good one. Can play wing, but fullbacks were his best. Fly half. It's more of Uruguay's needs than anything else. Uh, he did get a trial there in Major League Rugby, though. So I mean, many people think that's his position. Uruguay just, I mean, they've tried some other guys, and we're not really. Uh, clear as to uh, if those guys who have been uh, having their opportunities will realistically be in the frame for the World Cup. At the moment, you would say that uh, Silver is the, the likely candidate to be covering for Chelsea. You've got uh, Andres de Leon, who's going to play uh, together with Domingo Miotti. They're the two fly halves in the South America 15 to play against Chile this weekend. So, I mean, is he the next guy or the other guy in the frame? I probably think so. I mean, Herman Abenau has had plenty of opportunities in the America's Rugby Championship and, and other uh, uh, matches for, for Uruguay, and I, I think uh, they've moved on from him. Otherwise, we're talking about moving someone from another position. Uh, so, at the moment, I, I would probably probably think that De Leon and Silva are the, are the options there. But uh, in other positions, I mean, Uruguay lost by, you know, a notable score. It was 45-21. That's, that's a big win, the Cardiff Bulls. But I'm not reading too much into that because the, the team that took, took the field was largely uh, developmental. You had, I mean, uh, Leandro Leves is a starting winger, Juan Manuel Cat starting center. But the rest of the backs were realistically replacement options, uh, aside from Arata. And in the forward, it's basically the same thing. You can find two, three names who you would expect to be starting against Fiji in the World Cup. And the, and the, the rest of them you would consider mostly options for the, the bench. I mean, uh, so the team against uh, the Cardiff Blues was, was definitely not a genuine article. Uh, for the World Cup, and but that's by design. Uh, they are they are testing players, as you said. But yeah, it's it's totally related to the Ulster match on Friday, because the World Cup's going to replicate this. Uruguay, unfortunately, have been given by World Rugby the task of playing in uh, Kamishi. I think that's how it's pronounced in the north against Fiji first up, and then traveling to play. Georgia. So you've, you've got three rest days between those two, which, which are realistically the winnable matches, if you're going to look at the scheduling, and, and it's, it's not easy on them. So they're doing the right thing in this tour. 
they are starting by looking exactly to that because they're going to have to back up just like this. And uh, I mean, asking any player to play against Fiji and Georgia on a three-day turnaround is, is, is just out of this world stuff. It's tough. Yeah, they're so, going to have to uh, develop some de- interesting some of the names. You know, also we got to keep in mind they're missing a couple. They're missing obviously uh, Agustin Ornamachia is still with his club. Is so is uh, Capo Otrega. Um, Franco Lamana is still coming back from injury, but they're also giving a, a look to some young guys on this tour. Uh, Guillermo Pujadas, the, the prop, very promising player. Uh, Ardao, uh, Manuel Ardao, the he was a star flanker with the Territos, the U20s, and now he's being moved into a hooker, which is a really interesting move. Kind of, you know, he's a little bit short, maybe for a modern, uh, a modern loose forward. Um, but taking advantage of really impressive, uh, you know, is uh, just his determination, his leg drive. We've seen that as mobility, his quickness, uh, very aggressive player. And when you got a guy like uh, Santiago Civetta coming up in the back row as well, and you've got others, Gonzalo Sotomera, uh, Rodolfo Garesi also in the mix, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you're the guys starting to get some decent depth out there. So that's, it's, it's really promising. Yeah, totally. And, and I remember, uh, watching Uruguay against Australia in the World Cup in Birmingham and seeing the captain coin toss. It was Dean Mum from the Wallabies and uh, Santiago Villaseca from Los Teros. And so very tall lock against uh, a player who's a flanker playing lock. And oh my God, just seeing that the height difference. And you're not going to get that this time around because now they've got, uh, well, they've got three big timber uh, specialist locks, and they're all very good ones. So we were talking about uh, Ignacio Dotti, Manuel Landeca, and Rodrigo Capoeira. And not only are they all big and sizable and highly talented, but they're all playing professional rugby. So this is a tremendous boost. I mean, I, I cannot say this enough. I think Uruguay are a far, far better placed now than uh, the previous World Cup, we're talking about realistically Uruguay should be the, the best Uruguay team of all time for the World Cup. They, they should be that. And also, obviously, rising up through the Americas Rugby Championship, we've seen Chile and Brazil also uh, with, with some really impressive uh, results in that time. Maybe Brazil kind of leading the way. We've seen the, you know, they beat uh, they beat USA, they beat Canada, they beat the Argentina 15, which was astonishing. They beat the Georgia 15 in Tbilisi, which was also a huge uh, win for them. They've got <laughs> they've got the the Maori up next at uh, at Morumbi. Uh, what do you think we can expect in that game? Brazil is we. I have a pretty good understanding of it, are not so interested in the, the, the big tussles. So the physical match for Brazil is not, you know, <laughs> the way to go forward. Um, I, I very much would love, love to, to see Brazil score lots of points. And, and I think they're going to play uh, to try to do so. But uh, just seeing how the Maori dismantled the, the United States, it was, of course, not the, the proper Eagles side, but... You know, uh, it, it looks like we're talking about a 60-point win uh, for the Maori, uh, unless we can get some big Sao Paulo uh, rain and mud and, and, and thunder. <laughs> it's realistically, it's going to be a big, uh, you know, a big mountain for for Brazil to go up against. And uh, you're, you're going to be you're talking about players who have come home from, uh, you know, playing in Glendale, Colorado. So. 
they haven't been together this whole time. And that's a real important difference because Brazil's always had a huge advantage that no one's been flowing in from anywhere. And the America's Rugby Championship, they've all been these guys that are training as professionals and, and they're able to, to produce because they're all together the whole time and, and uh, ready. So now, you know, it, it's going to take, take a really big effort for them, but they're going to be fired up. We've seen them in the past do this when they go on their uh, European matches, for instance. You know, the win they got against Belgium, no one predicted that. And Maori, of course, are different, you know, kettle of fish to that. But uh, it's going to be a match definitely uh, interested, and, and anyone can watch it because it's going to be on Twitter. Uh, whoever wants to watch can just get onto the Brazil rugby twitter feed and it's there i mean that's awesome yeah that's uh, probably the big thing that'll come out of this is just the exposure of the team to such a wide audience because uh, you mentioned belgium you know we kind of thought that belgium was going to go down to uh, south america and play at chile and possibly brazil because brazil don't really have a, a warm-up match before the the maori match which kind of sucks for them um but Chile, instead of playing uh, Belgium, they're going to play that Sudamerica 15 uh, this week ahead, uh, this weekend ahead of their match with the Maori the next weekend. Some interesting names on that Sudamerica lineup. Lots of fringe like Argentina guys. You mentioned Domingo Miotti, the really exciting uh, Argentina guy. You know, obviously he's looking for a spot in the Jaguares. So on the topic of Argentina, Las Pumas are headed to Dublin to play Ireland this weekend. Uh, what are you hearing about the build-up? What kind of team do you think we're going to be seeing? Obviously, Agustin Crivi, no longer the captain, so that's a, another big talking point with them. Yeah, I mean, that's a change which surprised me and surprised most people, but it's not a, not a bad change at all. This is just Ledesma's way of moving on altogether because uh, the, the Daniel Cardier is gone. It's got to be left in the past. Uh, Pablo Matera was very good as a player in the rugby championship. There's no doubting what he can do. Crevi can be a player to get a bit frustrated at times. There's a language issue. His, his English is not so good. You'll see him talking uh, to French referees in French, and if they speak Spanish, which some of them do, they'll be talking Spanish. So we're talking about Matera, who uh, is better, much better English than uh, Crevi does. Had was playing for the Leicester Tigers as a 19-year-old. So uh, he is one of the guys who came home uh, when he could have stayed and, and uh, you know, gone on to be one of the, the star players realistically in Europe. So uh, that's one of the reasons, of course, why you, you're going to give him the position because it's a motivating factor for everybody, not only those in the, in the roster, but up-and-coming players. So the, the formation and training had Matera with uh, a surprise. His flanker partner today was Guido Petti who, of course, is the starting lock. So uh, Karema was missing from the training. We've got to confirm his status. I know he's 100 Their The, the official status that we were hearing from the camp is all players are fit, 100%. There are no injury problems. But seeing Petit there and Karema missing is a bit of a surprise. So number eight was Javier Ortega Desio. In front of them, the, uh, the second rowers were uh, Matias Alimano and Tomas Lavanini. No surprises there with Pietri moving to flanker. Uh, the front row, well, we've got major problems because there's a huge prop shortage. Uh, so Juan Figash, who played the championship, really impressed. Two other guys from Europe got opportunities. They're a bit of hit and miss. And Santiago Medrano had one start at tight head and... Uh, well, wasn't so 
so good overall, you would give him a pass mark. But, uh, you know, compared to Figashi, it's, you know, absolutely uh, phenomenal step down from one to the next. But, I mean, this is a young player. Uh, Argentina, <clears throat> realistically, needs to, to, to sort this out quickly. Let's see if he's going to be a realistic candidate for the World Cup. We're going to see that this weekend uh, against Ireland and also uh, France and Scotland are going to be severe test matches for him. He looks like he's going to be playing tight head in these matches. Uh, and loose head today in the training was Santiago Garcia Bota, who realistically is, it has to be him because you know the other, the other guys are injured or they're not being used because of playing for a team like Bath. So... Yeah, he's the guy. In the back, you had Tomas Kubeshi playing uh, uh, as the starting scrum half. So it was a minor surprise uh, because Gonzalo Bertrano just has been very good. Uh, but uh, Kubeshi has been a guy who <clears throat> has been underused, especially during the Horkad era because uh, tended, Martin Landajo tended to be the starter, even though Kubeshi would often... Then get a start and impress. So it was a bit of a yo-yo. Uh, Nicolas Sanchez, of course, is the fly half. They actually don't have anyone else even in the roster to play in the position. Uh, you're talking about moving guys out of position or using uncapped players. I mean, having an uncapped player, you know, realistically play on one of these one of these matches against top European opposition is just just extremely challenging. I mean, you would you would expect someone like this to play. Something else, like let's say against you know maybe Italy, not against Ireland. Um, the centers were Jeronimo de la Fuente and Matias Orlando. So Orlando's preferred at the moment to to his fellow Matias Moroni, which is a, a, a little surprising. Uh, They're a bit tit for tat, and the the, the back three: Miliano Buffelli, Ramiro Mushano, and Bautista Delgi. So they are the same. Uh, it's the same back line, realistically, that's been under Ledesma all year, with the, mi- the minor exceptions being scrum half and uh, and uh, outside center. The rest, the same same lineup. So no surprises there. The only surprise, again, overall, is Pietti. He's playing flanker. Right. Yeah, I know we thought before this tour, looking at it, we were a little bit surprised they didn't. We kind of heard rumblings that maybe they call in uh, Benjamin uh, Urda Pijet, uh, you know, or, you know, Fernandez uh, from Peto Fernandez from 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 Claremont Avera. And they haven't done that. They haven't really drawn anybody. No, Animahoff, of course, which is terrible. But uh, so looking at this, I think it's pretty safe to say we're not really expecting a, a repeat of, of the World Cup with Argentina facing an Ireland team who are pretty close to top of the world at the moment. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Ireland are going to be favorites by, I would like to say, 8 to 10 points because I expect Argentina to be better than they were when they played Ireland a year ago. So I'd probably give Ireland an 8 to 10 advantage for this. Erda Pichetta should he is fit for the final two matches. So if, you know, there's going to be a surprise call-up, maybe it'll be for him uh, to face... The, the Barbarians, maybe, or, or, or uh, Scotland. But, yeah, it, it's problematic, as we know. I guess we've pretty much covered everything that needs to be covered. Any uh, any last things you want to touch on before we call it? No, we just want to see some good rugby this weekend. It's going to be a lot to watch. So we've, we've got lots of teams to follow. So hopefully, you know, 
we can get through it all and without uh, the wives and family being too bothered. <laughs> Absolutely. That, that stuff's important. All right, Paul. Well, thanks a lot. And uh, we will certainly enjoy this weekend of rugby action and we'll uh, connect again next week. Absolutely. Paul Tate from America's Rugby News. You can find Paul on Twitter at Argentina underscore 2027. You can find me at Ray's Rugby, R-A-Y-S Rugby, uh, at America's Rugby for the ARN feed. The music's playing. I need to get out of here. Thanks again to Mark Winokur and Evan Olmsted. Find us a new name. Let us know what you'd like to hear in the future. I'm Brian Ray. Enjoy your rugby weekend.